Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, good morning and welcome to the Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey and uh, with me is Chase Wilsey. Good morning, Chase. How are you doing this morning? Good morning. Doing well. Getting right into it this morning. Oh, huh? yeah. Getting right into it because I was thinking driving in. You know, I've been doing the Smart Investing Show for 29 years now. And this is uh, my favorite hour of the week. I just love doing the show. I get excited every time I come in. Even after 29 years, I still love doing this show. Yeah, it's, a, it's always a good time. It's because we've got great listeners. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, let's talk about uh, what happened uh, last week. Uh, a lot of things uh, went on last week. <clears throat> I want to talk about uh, some big tech names, what's going on, on the technology side, because we have seen some volatility there. And we have talked uh, before about uh, how the big tech names like Apple and Microsoft continue to carry the NASDAQ. Well, proof of that uh, was showing last week when 38% of the NASDAQ stocks had fallen 50% or more from the 52-week highs. I mean, you think about it. If Apple and Microsoft, at, at uh, you know, were to follow suit, you would see Apple trading somewhere around ninety dollars a share, and Microsoft at one seventy-five a share. And it sounds crazy, but <laughs> is it possible? And I think it is important to watch how serious the Federal Reserve is about combating inflation. If they get serious about inflation, I will not rule out those two possibilities for those companies. And I, I mean, you've just kind of seen, if you watch that 10-year note, I mean, these big tech companies are, are, are following that pretty closely in terms of an inverse correlation. So when a 10-year note goes up, those generally are not doing very well. Yeah, and, and it is hard because once things start going down, the people start panicking and pulling out. And, and I'm not going to say, oh, it's definitely going to happen. Apple's going to hit 90. But nothing stays above the mean forever. And right now, I think Apple's around 30 times earnings, maybe even higher than that. I'm not sure. We'll see if we got a call on it today. But uh, it's just something that everything, the average is 14 to 17. <clears throat> and uh, things can come back down if the mode switch. Now, right now, a lot of people love Apple. They love Microsoft. I think Microsoft's up about, uh, I'm going to say about 10, 15% from their high. I think their high's about oh, 350. Yes, off, yes. Yeah. I actually looked at that. Yeah, they were, they were <clears> around <throat> 350. They're right now at about 310, 311. So it's about an 11% decline. 11% decline, yeah. So, I, I mean, it can happen. And I've been doing this for 40 years. And people say, oh, no, you're wrong. It's not going to happen. Eventually, things go back to the mean. And I always say one or two things going to happen. Uh, with the high-tech stocks, either one, they're going to have that big pullback or they're going to go nowhere for years ago. You're up and down, but you're in a trading range is what they'll be in. Yeah, and one thing we've kind of talked about with, with <clears throat> these two companies in particular is they're so big that, I mean, we don't own them, but right. pretty much everybody owns them through an index, through you know direct ownership, that where is going to be the excess flows to carry them higher. Yeah, if everybody owns it, who's going to buy it? <laughs> exactly. You'd have to buy more. And it, I, I just I, I don't see that that kind of catalyst to to carry them like they've gone up. You know, one hundred fifty percent, one hundred percent over the last two years. I I I can't see how we get to that point. And you know, I I think too we, we were talking in the office this week is you know it goes down ten percent. Okay. Well, oh, buying opportunity, buy the dip. Well, you got to be careful if there's nobody left to buy the dip in these yeah. companies. They're not going to go higher. And then it might start to spook investors. And kind of what we're saying is all of a sudden it's like, you know, I, I think Microsoft and Apple, they're, they're fully valued. 
all of a sudden you start to see more money flow out of it. Then you start to spook your, I'm going to say your less educated investors where it's like, oh my gosh, I, I didn't know Microsoft could go down. And then it goes down. And you, I mean, it, it's more, this, yeah. this kind of tornado that can just kind of spin out of control and you, you got to be careful and it, it can happen with any company. And, you know, people are going to think I'm crazy here, but we've had this discussion before with a company like GE. Mm-hmm. Yeah, GE, yeah, GE, they're not that great. Oh, tell that to people who were buying GE 10, 15 years ago. They oh, yeah. GE was the greatest thing since GE life. GE will never go down. You yeah. don't get it and so forth. And and you also you look at uh, uh, Amazon's been, I think Amazon's off about 10% from their high, been kind of flat. Uh, Netflix, I, I think Netflix is almost down 20%. I think they were like 600 and something. I think now they're on 500. So uh, it, it is appears to be shifting. And 2022, I believe, is going to be a difficult year uh, as we see rates rise. So be very careful uh, with people, and you're right. I, I think we have uh, perhaps buyer fatigue in the the uh, high tech companies because buy the dip, buy the dip. You eventually run out of money, so we can't buy the dip any longer. Well, I think the issue here too is a lot of your hedge funds, your big institutional uh, funds. I think they're looking at this now and saying, well, they know how rising rates impact these big tech yeah. companies. <clears throat> I don't think they're going to be the ones buying the dip here. I, I think it's, it, it could maybe be retail investors who could get hurt and the institutional companies might be the ones selling them and saying, hey, we, we've done great over these last two years with these companies. Let's get out and let's kind of find something else now. Yeah, you got, you got some profits. Let's lock, that, lock in those profits there. Uh, let's move on to a, a favorite subject for some people, which is Bitcoin. Uh, you may feel safe with Bitcoin because it's estimated that 114 million people hold Bitcoin now. Uh, there are 7.9 million people in the world, by the way. The 114 million does include people, keep this in mind, who have lost their passwords and cannot access their Bitcoin anyways. But more importantly, 0.01% of Bitcoin holders can control 27% of the 19 billion Bitcoin in circulation. Yeah, 19 million Bitcoin in Did circulation. Did I say billion? You said yeah, billion. I, well, I got, I got the B mixed up with the Bitcoin, so yeah, million, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it blends in there, but I mean, that, that's a huge percentage. And, you know, why is that important? It makes the entire Bitcoin network more susceptible to systematic risk, and also it means the minority disproportionately control Bitcoin. As a comparison, and people complain about the wealth inequality in the U.S., approximately the top 1% of households in the U.S. control about 33% of the wealth. Compare the point. Zero one percent to one percent, that makes a huge, huge difference. And and the thing we're saying here too is, if that point zero one percent all of a sudden starts to say, ah, well, I think I'm going to start to sell some Bitcoin. I'm up tremendously. You know, I, <laughs> the people that have that type of amount oh, yeah. in Bitcoin, I mean, they have probably hundreds of millions in Bitcoin. I'm going to start to take some out off the table here. I, I, I and actually use it to maybe buy real estate, buy some other stuff. Oh yeah. If it flows out of Bitcoin, that's not a good thing for the price of Bitcoin. Yeah, and, and it's really not. And, and again, it could really hurt it. And there are people that have made a lot of money off of Bitcoin. Congratulations. I'm glad you've done well on, on the speculative investment. But what's going to happen going forward? Um, this is the problem. And people don't understand this. And I know you may not be a numbers person like we are. But when we saw that number, like, holy cow, that's a lot. I mean, 0.01% to 1%. That's a big, big difference. And if, you, if you're a math person, you're going to say, wow. If you're not a math person, you got to take our word because just realize a lot of people, 27%, control that. And if they start getting out, as you said, the little guy once again is going to get hurt because, well, you know, I got you know, $10,000, $100,000 and I'm going to be fine. It's going to be worth a million someday. 
Yeah, I, I doubt that's ever going to happen. But again, you've got people that control this who you may not realize. And I, I've been doing this for 43 years. People say, well, what happened? I don't understand what happened. We're warning you now what could happen uh, because the concentrated holdings in Bitcoin. And, and one thing I was going to bring up is, you know, somebody commented on our thing saying we're negligent for not recommending that at <laughs> least people put 1% of their portfolio into Bitcoin. And, and the thing you have to think about here is we don't like to buy 1% of anything. Right. I don't care what <laughs> it is. Reason for that is you buy 1% of it, let's say. It goes up 100%. Wow. That means your performance was enhanced by 1%. 1%. Doesn't do anything for the portfolio. I'd much rather buy a concentrated position that maybe goes up 20, 30, 40%. Wow. That actually produces a better return right. than the 100% in Bitcoin for 1% of my portfolio. And you know why it's so important is I feel comfortable with putting 6% yeah. of my portfolio in something I understand. I don't feel comfortable putting 6% of my portfolio into Bitcoin. That's crazy in my opinion. So I wouldn't do it. Oh, you just got to dabble in a little bit. That's just gambling. And it doesn't enhance your performance as much as people think. And a good example being is that uh, dabbling back in the tech boom with dot-com stocks and so forth, that left you with nothing. And and then, so if you do 1% here, 1% here, you do it for 10 different speculative things. So now you've taken 10% of your portfolio yeah. that you should have been buying good quality investments that could have done well. And maybe they only do 20 or 30%, um, but that's far better than losing those one percenters and so forth, because you'll say that about, well, let's buy, uh, I'm trying to think of something else, speculative, um, biotech. I was going to say NFT. NFT, <laughs> well, yeah, NFT. Or, or but a biotech company that's going to like cure, cure cancer. Like, yeah. okay, they may do that and you ha might have a home run, but probably more than likely going to lose that money. So you start having that mentality and before you know it, 10, 15 years have gone by, like, oh, my portfolio's not done that well. So you also miss the compounding effect. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, we follow Warren Buffett's philosophy of being concentrated, buying good quality businesses, and, and I'm more concerned with losing people money than making them, you know, millionaires and billionaires because that just is not the norm. Well, it's always interesting too. Oh, well, people say, oh, you were wrong on this one, you were wrong, mm -hmm. and we tell people we're wrong a lot. You can't yeah. be right about every single stock that's out there. The, the thing is, we don't want to be wrong more right. than we're right. That, right. That, that's where you really start to lose money. Yeah. We always say we our objective is in our portfolio when we're buying things, as long as we're right two-thirds of the time, you can still make a great profit. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I, and I think with Bitcoin, I could be wrong on it. It, it could go to 100000 I, I I just don't think it's worth the risk to me. I, I don't understand it. I don't see how it gets there. I don't see the purpose of it. I don't, I don't see the value, so I wouldn't buy it. Right. That's what we tell our listeners. If you disagree with me and want to go buy it, go buy it. But if you get burned, <laughs> well, sorry. Yeah. And if I lose out on that, I'm not going to be that upset because I have other performing assets that I think I'll do just yeah, fine. That it did fine. So, and that's the thing. And it, and it is, you know, up to people who want to do it. We give you, again, in my case, 43 years of experience of investing and so forth. They say, oh, you don't get it. Well, after 43 years, I've, I've gotten a lot. So, but, you know, again, you want to try it, go ahead, do it. But based on what we said, it's not a good thing very concentrated holdings of a small group of people is not good. So let's talk about the, uh, another important topic, the Federal Reserve. Uh, we have all heard and know that the Federal Reserve plans on hiking interest rates this year at least three times. What you may not have heard of that does not sound as exciting is reduction of the Fed's balance sheet. Now, since 2010, the Federal Reserve's balance sheet has grown from $2 trillion up to $9 trillion, and as they have purchased treasuries 
and mortgage-backed securities to keep interest rates low, supply demand at work there. We should also see this year that the Federal Reserve will not replace those securities as they mature. And it'll start off slowly with about $25 billion kind of rolling off that balance sheet and then increase to $75 billion in monthly declines. Uh, of course, this is if they allow this to happen. They, mm-hmm. they haven't confirmed it, but they have now starting to talk about it, right. which is what has kind of started to spook the market. And I think if they do come out and say, yeah, we're going to start letting those treasuries roll off, I think that is going to spook the market further. But this is important because if they're increasing interest rates and continue to buy the supply, rates will probably not change that much. However, if they do not continue to purchase the securities in the bond market, it will have to show the reality of what is going on. We will then likely see interest rates increase. If you do the math, reducing the balance sheet at about $75 billion a month, it will take 13 months to reduce $1 trillion. $1 trillion is, is <laughs> followed is a one followed by 12 zeros, by the way. I mean, it's a huge, huge that number. Big number. It's crazy. Another important fact is it will take roughly five years to cut the balance sheet in half. And, I mean, it'd still be a very sizable balance sheet, even right. if it is cut in half. And, and this is and what people won't get is that the bond market will then once again become a, uh, a free-floating market, so to speak. Because right now when the Fed steps in and buys $75 billion or whatever they're going to buy, uh, they cut off the supply. If you make it so that's not the case any longer, investors have to come in and actually buy that, you can see on the long end of interest rates rise quicker, which shouldn't be the case because you want that, that uh, uh, not, you don't want a flat yield curve. Yeah. You, want, you want that normal curve on the yield curve. Um, but again, you want to have it so that's going to happen. And what worries me is that people are going to step in saying, well, I'm not going to buy a bond at you know a 10-year treasury or a bond at uh, 4% or whatever, and it will have to rise in interest rates to make it so that people will take that risk. And that's what I think people don't get, that, that you've got to have people come in and take that risk to buy those bonds at those prices. Yeah, and kind of trying to explain this a little it bit further. It is hard to kind of explain it, is, yeah. you know, let's just say just for all intents and purposes, the, the 10-year note, it's it's about 1.75% right now. Right. Well, what's happening is the Fed is coming in and they were buying about $120 billion a month. They were buying $120 mm-hmm. and expanding the balance sheet. So that means there was demand for these treasuries. As long as there's demand for the treasuries, they'll stay at about 1.75%. But all of a sudden, now you're kind of having to start to rely on your pension fund, your average investors coming in and saying, oh, 1.75%, that sounds like a pretty good rate. I'll buy that. So now we have to displace the $120 billion that the Fed was buying in treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. I don't see how that happens. But now this is an additional problem. It's not just the lack of buying by the Fed. What's happening is their assets are starting to expire, right? I mean, you take a 10-year note. At some point, that 10-year note is going to expire. That's what this is. What they do currently is when that 10-year note expires, they replace it on the balance sheet. So that's still creating demand in the market. But all of a sudden, they say, no, we're just going to let that run off. Well, now that demand's gone as well, and somebody else has to step into the market and buy it to keep interest rates low. And if nobody's in there saying 1.75% sounds like a pretty darn good rate on the 10-year note, what has to happen is that interest rate has to go up so that somebody's interested in buying it. it might be 2%, might be, I'm not going to step in until it's at 3%. Yeah. Oh, gosh, that is a problem. So that's why this, I think, is going to have a huge impact, even more so, I think, than the Fed rising interest rates. Yeah, and you want to keep an eye out on, uh, for that, and that's why we're kind of letting you know about that. So be be watching that throughout 2022. Uh, and lastly, before we go to the calls, and by the way, phone number is 833 that's 
888-900-0973. As always, get you through for that unbiased, no strings attached, final opinion about what you want to talk about. Uh, I do want to just hit quickly on inflation. The CPI, uh, the inflation report continues to remain at levels not seen in years as the CPI came in at 7% year over year, which was the highest since 1982. And the PPI, the producer price index, also came in at 9.7% which was the highest on record. I, I do believe that these levels will start to shrink slightly. And as the Fed begins to tighten and we lap the elevator reports near the end of the year from 2021, I expect we'll see a CPI around 4 to 5%. So I, I think we're still going to have some issues uh, in terms of inflation for mm. the next few years. Yeah, I don't think it'll be as bad as, you, you know, the, we just talk about the 7%, the 9.7. I think it will taper off somewhat, but it's still there which means I've just talked about the Federal Reserve has to do something to combat this because if not, if they don't do nothing at all, we could see seven to nine percent inflation. They got to do things. And I we, we didn't have it listed, but I just have to talk about it. Sure. Because we, we we finished a little bit early here. Sure. Uh, you know, and we we tell people we study history in hopes that we learn from the past. And if you look at the Great Inflation, as it was called, from 1968 through 1983, the CPI jumped 186 percent over this 15-year period or 7.3% on an annualized basis. What did the Federal Reserve say was the, the cause of this? Well, they pointed out the problem where policies allowed for excessive growth in the supply of money, also called mm. the money supply, right? which is why I, I just don't see how inflation was transitory. And I right. think with the huge expansion that we saw, I mean, I think it's good that the Federal Reserve is now stepping in and kind of getting ahead of it because you don't want to have what Volcker did back then and just spike dramatically. Yeah. You, you want kind of an easy, smooth landing. Right. And I, I think as long as we stick to our plan, it's going to hurt a little bit yeah. for the economy, for the stock market, but it's going to be better than just rapidly spiking interest rates. Yeah, and that's why I'm glad to see what they're doing. And, and you're right, it's going to hurt a little bit now, but it's far better than, oh, everything's fine, everything's fine. And then in 2023, Inflation's way out of control. You got to raise interest rates, cut things off. That'd be very painful. And I think we could have a, a, a mild recession in 2023 if we stay on course here. I was going to say a lot of times people think recession. They put it in their minds the Great Recession of 2008, 2009. Right. There's what we call healthy recessions, and I think as long as we do it properly, I think we're going to have a healthy recession. Mm -hmm. I think it'll be good long term for both the economy and the stock market. Yeah, and certain stocks can still do well during that time frame if it's a a, a, a mild recession, just kind of correcting things a little bit. Uh, before we go to the calls here, uh, again, phone number is 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. Uh, do you want to talk about the workshop we're going to have on January 27th? That's a Thursday evening, 6 o'clock in Scripps Ranch. It's now to, uh, 2022, and if you're ready to invest in this uncertain year, well, if you're not, let us know. That's why we're going to do this. We're going to discuss why the index may not perform as you expected, how to take the emotions out of investing and avoid the roller coaster ride of investing, and how to build a portfolio to weather the possible upcoming storm. The workshop is free, but you have to sign up. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. You can call the office at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546. 4306, speak with Priscilla. She can just signed up. And looking forward to seeing you at the workshop on uh, Thursday, January 27th. All right, uh, callers, let's go back to the, well, let's go to the calls. Uh, let's head out to uh, Alpine and speak with Jim. Jim, you're on the Smart Invest Show. Run, uh, Chase, how can we help you? 
Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, this is Jim calling you from uh, Greater Downtown Ridgecrest, uh, trying to mimic your CFP. Is always calling from a different place. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so uh, I'm a stockholder of Unum, and we're also customers uh, using them for our long-term care insurance. And uh, again, as always, I'm just trying to find out the uh, possibility of uh, you know maintaining my dividend cash flow with them. Okay, and Unum, I, I thought it stood for something, but that's the actual name. The symbol is UNM, and the name is actually Unum. Okay, I've never heard of that uh, company. So, and you said you're a customer and you hold it. Uh, how long ago did you buy it? Oh, about a year, probably, maybe 15 months, something like that. Okay, well, let's take a look at uh, Unum. It doesn't even say incorporate, it just says Unum is the name. Uh, not much on the, the, the short for the company, so they're about 3% short, so that's okay. Uh, institutional ownership, very high, 85%. Uh, PE ratio, 7.2 versus 8.5, that's positive. Price to sales, 0.4 versus 0.6. Price to book value, 0.5, well below the industry at 3.9. And price of cash flow, not looking very good, 18.1 versus 3.5. Now we do have a peg ratio going forward of 1.3. That's very good compared to the industry at 9.1. We see earnings per share over the last year were actually up 0.3, uh, but the industry up 94.8. So I'm kind of concerned why their earnings didn't grow as well. Uh, their sales uh, were up 0.7% while the industry was down 8.1%. So I'd like to see a little more growth there on the earnings and the sales. Uh, they do pay a nice dividend, 4.3%. And I like that they only use about 30% of their earnings to pay that out. Looking at the balance sheet, uh, it is a financial company, so there's no current ratio. Debt to equity looking good, 0.3 versus 1.6. And then uh, net profit margin, 6%, just slightly below the industry at 7.2. And a return on equity, not very good, 7.2 versus 12.5. I'd like to see that higher. Uh, Chase, what do you see going forward? Yeah, I was kind of looking at the, the company a little bit uh, more detail. I, I know, Jim, you mentioned long-term care, but uh, I was kind of surprised by this. They operate in the United States, which I'm not surprised by that, but mm -hmm. then United Kingdom and Poland. Oh, wow. I feel like I it's a, a weird yeah. country you know, <laughs> to have United Kingdom and Poland. Now that Poland's weird, but it's just a, a weird combination of yeah, countries. Yeah, out in left field. Yeah. So uh, the other thing that, that was interesting is it looks like they primarily sell to employers to then benefit the employees, so it's kind of group-sponsored okay. plans, uh, and they kind of do a, a wide range of things, too. I mean, dental, vision, you know, accident, sickness, disability, they have life insurance products, and then also, too, as you mentioned there, Jim, uh, the long-term care. Now, looking at the current price for Unum, it's $28.10. 52-week high, well, that's $31.98, and the low, $22.25. Now, if I go out to December 2022, I see estimated earnings per share of $4.95. Again, if we take our 16.6 multiple for that, we actually get a really nice target sell price of $82.17. So, I mean, the earnings for this company look fantastic. And, and you're seeing earnings growth from 2022 to 2021 of about 14.5%. But I do see in 2021, they were down 12%. So, I'd be curious how... I'm going to say cyclical are their earnings, you know, mm -hmm. they have great years and then really hard years. Uh, I know with a lot of insurance companies too, what really drives their earnings per share is their investment portfolios. Yep. So yep. that's one thing I want to understand. And also too, long-term care, I'd be curious how much of their business ma is made up of that because long-term care is something that has concerned me in the past because people are living longer, which is great, but that does mean potentially more 
payouts by these insurance companies. Yeah, and, and you just don't know how long that's going to go, and it's really devastated a lot of companies. And uh, that is a concern I'd have as well. How much is that, of that is their business? Because if it's a, a reasonable percent, I would I would recommend probably stay away from it because you just don't know that what that can and happen I, there. And I will say. Companies did get burned on that several mm-hmm. years ago where their kind of actuary tables were off mm-hmm. and it cost them. They may have made adjustments. And I know kind of when they've written policies lately, they've kind of put some safeguards in there for people living longer. So uh, they may have made the adjustment to allow for it to be a more profitable insurance because of but that's the, the new business. Fact. You still have that old business. Exactly. The, that's one thing I don't understand. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, it's it, it definitely worth the research there, Jim. But uh, I, I do have worries on that because of the unknown there. So, uh, do the research uh, and be careful. Alrighty. That's why I call you guys. That's why we're here. You know, you, 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 yeah, you point me in the right direction frequently. So, thank you once again. Okay, Jim. Thanks for calling. Have a great weekend. Oh, you had something, Chase? Oh, I was going to say, uh, you know, thanks to Jim for calling, but uh, I was going to say it's actually a surprisingly big company. I thought it was going to be small. I mean, but I guess actually that, not as surprised because they're international, but it's a $5 billion market cap. I just never heard of the company. But oh, it's it, that it, Poland, that yeah. Poland stake they yeah, had. Yeah. <laughs> the $5 billion. Yeah, so, and there was an insurance company. Was it last week? Was it United Health or somebody? Had some difficulties with well, last week. Humana. Humana, yeah. And they're down like 20%. 20%, yeah. And I looked at them. They they still actually weren't even that good of a buy based off their earnings. Really? Yeah. And, and, and their valuations for their earnings. Yeah. I And I was kind of worried. Uh, I mean, our insurance company that we hold that's in the medical field actually didn't really blink. And actually, I think it's higher than it was uh, before. Yeah. But, uh, but it was not like uh, industry-wide. It seemed just with... Humana, you said. It was more related to Medicare and uh, I think Medicaid as well. Yeah. They kind of had some warnings on it. I think they're more prevalent in that than some of the other health insurers. Right. All right. Well, that does it on the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go up to Oceanside and speak with Carl. Carl, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Yes, sir. <clears throat> Uh, a week ago, I I bought Disney DIS at one fifty eight, and yesterday it got hammered. Some analysts had negative opinion. My question is, in your opinion, what is the valuation on Disney? You know, I'm glad you brought this up because I have been kind of keeping an eye on Disney. It's a company I would like to own. Uh, I know they got really too pricey. So I'm glad you called because I would like to take a look at uh, Disney to see if it is something we should start looking at for for buying. Uh, Their symbol is uh, DIS. No short issues there, only 1.4% short. Institutional ownership, 67%. Uh, Their PE ratio, though, is over 100 uh, versus 33 for the industry. Price to sales are expensive, 4.1 versus 3. Price to book value looks good, 3.1 versus 3.6. But price to cash flow, again, expensive, 50 versus 18.2. Now, the earnings per share, I don't I don't see anything for the past year, so it's kind of strange. Uh, I will say over the last five years, not looking good, down 27% uh, decline in their earnings, uh, while the industry is up 5.3. Sales year over year up 11% versus 5.9, so that's a positive. Now, the five-year uh, earnings per share growth estimate is 37.7, that is above the industry at 26. They do not pay a dividend. I, I I did not know that they cut their dividend, dropped their dividend. But uh, yeah, they no longer pay a dividend. I'm I'm surprised they haven't brought that back yet. Uh, we do see uh, on the balance sheet current ratio is 1.1, same as industry. That's good. Debt to equity looking good, 0.7. 
versus 3.5. Uh, some other things we're looking at here, net profit margin only three versus 10.5. Return on equity, not good at all, 2.3 versus 11. Return on capital, 2.3 versus 9.4. I mean, Disney has some problems. Uh, Chase, does it look better going forward? Well, I was going to say in, in the past, I mean, a lot of the profitability measures, which comes from return on equity, the profit mm-hmm. margin, I, I do still wonder how impacted are their theme parks. Yes. Um, that could be weighing quite heavily. And, you know, I, I think we have started to see a turnaround. And, and I'm going to say people care less about COVID and, right. and, you know, get back out into society and do things like that. And I think they, they could benefit from that. And you know what I'm saying, too, is that banks started reporting, and we saw yesterday that banks are starting to have trouble with labor and stuff. Yeah. And I'm thinking how labor-intensive are those theme parks? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. But I, I was going to say, too, that the problem that I think happened at Disney is they started to kind of divert from their business, and they started to just trade on the excitement around Disney Plus and the right. subscribers, and they kind of fell into that trap, and I think they, they just went way too high, and I'll, I'll kind of give you some numbers on, on why I'm sure. still concerned with it, but you look at the current price of $151.94, 52-week high was $203.02, so I, it was about a $50 decline, but it's still not a huge, huge decline if you look. I thought actually Disney had fallen further than that. 52-week low, though, $142.04. I see here, year-to-date, they're down about 1.9%, so not having a a great start to the year just yet. If I go out to September 2023 for Disney, though, I see estimated earnings per share of $5.57. That would give us a target sell price of $92.46, so still still pretty expensive there, Carl. I I, I don't know if I like Disney. Actually, I can tell you, I don't like Disney at these levels. It's, it's just too expensive, and I, I believe the reason for the downgrade yesterday from the analyst was concerns over content spending. Mm-hmm. And this is something we've kind of had our eye on for quite some time as well because, you know, you talk about Netflix spending billions of dollars. Now you talk about Amazon spending billions. Apple spending billions of dollars. Now you talk about Disney spending billions of dollars content. Not to mention you have Time Warner marching with Discovery, which, mm-hmm. you know, is kind of, I think, one of the more undervalued potential streamers here. Yeah. Well, they're spending a lot of money too and they're growing their subscribers. There's so many players here. I think you're going to have a benefit to the consumer, but a detriment to a lot of these companies that were way overpriced because their profit margins on their content spending will not be what people were anticipating years ago. And Carl, there used to be, uh, Disney used to have like a moat, as Warren Buffett would say, that, you know, there's not much competition. You can't compete with uh, Mickey Mouse and so forth. That has gone away with the streaming. I mean, you've got so much competition there. Um, I did notice that in 2022, the the uh, numbers I have is 387 for earnings. Big jump to 509. I don't know where that's coming from. Maybe people coming back to the theme parks. But I'm really kind of worried about the competition, the streaming wars, uh, and our target sell price was what you say, 97 or something. I mean, yeah, it's, it's yeah. close to 100. Yeah, it, it's it's still too pricey for us. I'm disappointed. I would like to hold Disney, but I am thinking the old Disney, not the new world that we're in with all this streaming and competition. Competition's great for the consumer. It's terrible for the investors. So uh, I would say at this point, stay away from Disney. I'm wondering, you know, years ago they had a cruise trip. I'm wondering, are they still in the cruise business? I believe they are. Yeah. yeah. I think I, I saw them still advertising that. Yeah. Yeah. And th- that could be another issue. I, I think that will get cleaned up uh, this year. And, and I, I still see the other cruise uh, uh, ship, the airline, or cruise airline, 
cruise ship <laughs> the companies, uh, still their stocks are kind of holding at those lower levels, but yeah. still holding on. So that, I don't think that's giving them too much trouble. Alrighty. Okay, thank you. All right, Carl, thanks for calling. Have a good one. Bye-bye. All right, that does open the phone line, 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. You know, personally, when I kind of look at businesses, I, I like simple businesses to invest into. Mm-hmm. And as much as I think Disney is a desirable company with a lot of great attributes, it, it gets harder and harder to analyze it when it's more complex. And what I mean by that is you have your movie studio, you have yep. your Disney Plus, you have the theme parks. There's a lot to the Disney business, and especially when they you know, had ESP, they have ESPN. I, I don't know if they still have ABC, uh, Hulu. They, they, yeah. they have so many different things. It's really a hard business to actually understand when you break it down. I personally don't really like to look at companies and that much, I'd rather buy something that's very easy to understand. You can value it much, much simpler. Right. Where Disney, oh, well, the sum of the parts and this and that, and that's how people break it down. But it's hard to run a theme park and run a streaming company. Right. I think that's a complicated dichotomy of businesses there. There's no real synergy. Hey, you know what it could be, too, is that, as I said, I want to own Disney. I like that. Yeah. But what I'm thinking of, I grew up with Disney. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd go to the theme parks. I mean, I knew they had ABC, ESPN. So, I think a lot of people like myself stuck in the old Disney, not realizing that they're really trying to. And, and who was the, the actress that sued them for not? Oh, uh, Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, yeah, be, because she didn't get paid properly on the streaming one straight. I mean, there's a lot of complicated things you bring up that this is not the old simple Disney with the TV studios and 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 the theme parks. This is a more complex business with a lot of competition. So I would say don't buy Disney just because the name makes you feel good. The numbers don't look good. And and what happens, I, I think, over time in these businesses is, is to kind of keep growth going is they have to get into new ventures. Right. And, you know, that's how you're kind of getting sales. Okay, well, now we're going to have to add streaming to continue to increase our, our sales. And well, what happens then is you, the business gets more com- complicated. And, again, I, I'm going to bring up GE, as we talked about mm-hmm. earlier in the show, is GE, well, they had to buy all these different businesses to keep sales growing. Well, now you're looking at them and they're divesting these companies. And I wouldn't be surprised to start to see, you know, maybe five, ten years from now, Disney starting to have to spin off different parts of their business. And, you know, even the big tech companies, too, they have to keep buying these. I wouldn't start to be surprised to see spinoffs of these other companies to make them less complicated. Yeah, yeah, it's a complicated thing. And, again, I I agree with that. It's hard done for many, many years is don't invest in complicated things. And it it means you may miss something, but I'd rather miss something thing into something I don't know. And that's how I've been successful long term is by not investing in things that was a guess. Yeah. So. And, and the thing too is generally you can start to buy those companies when they're divesting their assets. That's when you can get great deals yes. on those companies. And that's when I think it is the time to invest in those yeah. businesses. Or if they go down a lot because yeah. with their problems, then you can kind of dissect that saying, okay, well now it's a great buy. So you got to be patient. And sometimes yeah. being patient doesn't mean a week or two. It can mean two, three years to be patient with things. So, alrighty, uh, let's go, uh, let's see, what time is it? Uh, Yeah, 8.35. Let's talk about financial planning. For that, we're gonna turn to our financial planner, Harrison Johnson. Good morning, Harrison, how are you doing this morning? Good morning, guys, doing well, how are you doing? Well, good, good, and and I like today, you're talking about something different, uh, something here that's a, a, I'm gonna say it's a problem here in California called the Cal Savers. Why don't you explain what I'm talking about? Yeah, so um, if you are a business owner, and you have between five and 50 employees, 
you've got a deadline coming up on June 30th of this year, so a little bit less than six months. And by that time, you have to either set up a CalSAVERS plan for your business, um, or you have to set up a retirement plan like or a SEP or, or something like that. So um, CalSAVERS is the state-run program, and all it is is a Roth IRA. Uh, so it's, it's nothing um, exciting or crazy or too different, but it, it's literally just a Roth IRA. It has the same income limit, so if you make too much money, uh, you cannot contribute to it. It has the same contribution limit, so it's $6,000 a person, uh, $7,000 if you're over 50. And if you are already contributing to a regular Roth IRA or a traditional IRA, that reduces how much you can put into this CalSAVERS plan. Um, all the contributions that go in there are Roth contributions. Uh, there's no match or anything like that. So um, really the only difference with this CalSAVERS program is the state wants to set this up um, so that more people start saving for retirement. And when employers go through this plan, there is a deep provision where there's an automatic enrollment for all employees where they automatically start contributing 5% of their gross wages into this CalSAVERS plan. So, um, you know, on top of that, the investment options aren't very good. Uh, the only equity um, fund that can be invested in is a global equity fund. There's no, like, cap, mid-cap growth value, breakup, anything like that. It's just a global equity fund and then a bunch of target date funds and stuff like that. So not really the best on the investment option. So, um, but again, you, you have to do something by June 30th. So uh, since you have this deadline coming up, this could be a really good opportunity to go ahead and set up a retirement plan like a 401k. Now, um, a benefit to that is uh, actually from the SECURE Act, which was passed like two years ago, Right now, you can set up a retirement plan and get a federal tax credit for 50% of your startup costs for up to three years. Um, minimum $500 a year, maximum $5,000 a year uh, of a credit uh, to set up your plan. So um, it's, it's something that I think a lot of people should be aware of and should take advantage of because again, you have to do something anyway. And I think the CalSAVERS plan is not really going to be that beneficial for employees or employers. So, um, you know, this could be a good opportunity for the 401k. And then in addition to that, I already mentioned the, the 50% uh, startup costs for your tax credit. If you also add an auto enrollment provision to your retirement plan that you're setting up, you can add another $500 credit for an additional three years. So there's a lot of tax credits out there for setting up a retirement plan, it would be a good opportunity to, to do something like that. And Harrison, you're a CFP, so let me ask you this quick question. I mean, obviously the, the, the plan that the state's coming out was not a very good plan, but in your opinion as a CFP, when you look at somebody's financial plan, how important is that 401k plan uh, to your plan? I, I mean, it, it's huge. Uh, and you know, it's one of the main benefits of the 401k is it's pre-tax where this CalSAVERS thing is is a Roth contribution. Now, pre-tax isn't always better, but um, it's nice to have the option to choose which of those you want to go in. And, and with the 401k, there's much higher contribution limits. You know, you can really do a lot more with, uh, with your taxes. And so as a business owner, um, you know, the 401k is definitely more valuable than this CalSAVERS thing um, would be. 
And I, I, I was kind of interested too. You said they're automatically going to do 5% of your paycheck into this Cal Savers plan, but yet there's income limitations. Do you know what happens if all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I didn't know money was going in there, but I made too much money. <laughs> do you get penalized <laughs> for that? Uh, well, in that case, it's just like a, a regular Roth IRA. So if you contribute to a Roth IRA and you make over the income limit, you have to pull that out by the uh, time you file your taxes or else you have a penalty for that as an over-contribution. So same, same exact thing. You'd have to go in and, and opt out of that. Brilliant. Just more <laughs> complexity. I think it's, it's kind of funny because, you know, anybody right now can go open a Roth IRA. You know, that's not new. Yeah. Or a traditional IRA. You know, right. anybody can do that as long as you have earned income and contribute to that. So this CalSavers thing, their hope is, well, since it has an automatic um, enrollment, hopefully that allows people to start saving more, but the employees can go in and just opt out of it and, and save nothing. And I think a lot of them probably will do that. So right. Yeah. And I do want to kind of reemphasize too, you said it's just like a Roth IRA. You kind of talked about it a little bit, but it is way worse than a Roth IRA because on a Roth IRA, you can invest in whatever you want. But here you talked a little true. bit about it. That's true. I mean, yeah. hey, they so have the, the, the sustainable a... balanced fund at least. You know, that that's like <laughs> their only option is they have the uh, sustainable balanced fund that's part oh. stock, part bonds. That's like, <laughs> you know, ESG here in California, core bond fund, right. global equity fund, and then it's all target date funds. Yep. Those are your own oh, and money market. That, excuse me. That's that's exactly right. Yeah, what I meant by uh, that. It's got like the same contribution limits and income limits and, and all that stuff. But you're right, the, the investments inside of it are terrible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so on that side, just a regular Roth IRA would be would be way better. Right. Well, Harrison, thank you very much for opening the eyes to uh, employees and employers on the Cal Saver program. And uh, we'll see you Monday morning. Thanks, guys. We'll see you Monday. All right. Sounds good. All right, that was Harrison Johnson, our CFP. If you want a uh, consultation with him, a free consultation, give him a call at the office, 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or visit the website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. I do want to point out to people, uh, employees and employers at, at our firm, we do have 401k plans, uh, which use our management style plus other management styles as well. Uh, so if you're an employer or again, employees, you should be kind of talking to your employer saying, I don't want the Cal Savers plan, please give us something else. Uh, give us a call at the office, 858-546-4306. Uh, we do again, 401k plans. And I will point out to uh, kind of piggyback on what Harrison was talking about. A lot of times employers are kind of, oh, the admin costs, I, you know, set up a time and come talk mm -hmm. to us. The admin costs really aren't as cost prohibitive as you would think, especially now with, I'm going to say this not so great plan from Cal Savers. You got to do that right. for the 401k. I think the costs of the administration for the 401k far outweigh doing this admin for the Cal Savers. And the way I kind of look at it, would you rather have the state of California work with your retirement plan or you and I will see us at management? Work with the retirement yeah. plan. You, you have only those two choices. There is no, nope, no, I don't want either. Nope.
you got five to fifty, you got to have one of the two. Yeah, and and uh, you know you can go to our website smartinvesting2000.com. Again, that's smartinvesting2000.com, and there's a 401k section there, and and there's a, a free plan analysis, things like that uh, that you can sign up for. And we can have a further discussion on it. So. 401ks are great. We, we love doing them. Uh, I think we do a great 401k for our clients as well. So, uh, you know, you sure can go there if you are an employer or small business owner, or even as you said, talk to your uh, employer if you are an employee as well. Yep. All right, uh, let's go back to the calls. Let's head down to Chula Vista and speak with Lewis. Lewis, you're on the Smart Investor Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hi, guys. Good morning. Good morning. How late, how late, um, I'm 60 years old mm-hmm. and have no financial planning. I'm sorry I ignore this sector. Um, how late is it and how much money do I require to start up? Now, you said financial planning. Do you mean financial planning yes. or start? I mean, yes. I mean, yeah. Oh. yeah, start up, uh, you know, making a, a nest. I know I'm very old, but uh, making a nest, uh, how much money do you think I would need to start? Because I have a little bit saved. And I'm, a, I'm an independent contractor. I was listening to your 401k plans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for employers or for employees, but what do you have for an individual that's independent? Well, and Lewis, first off, you're younger than me, so I got to say, you're not very old, okay? Okay. <laughs> 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 but, uh, no, I, I mean, you're never too late to start. I mean, it sounds like, you know, you've got, you know, if you have cash and you've got, you know, invest, and it's not even invested, it's just in the bank and stuff, you're saying, gosh, you know, I need to, to start investing. I mean, we have multiple clients in their 70s and their 80s. It is never too late to start. And it'd be a combination, I think, for you of two things. One, doing the investment, uh, sitting down. Again, we can give you our phone number if you want to come in for consultation, talk to us about it. And also, too, are you married uh, or single or what? Yeah, I'm married. Yeah, yeah, 34 years. Yeah. See, the other thing I would talk about, too, is also in addition to doing the investing is also talk with Harrison about a, a financial plan because you've got the tax situation, you've got a state to, to talk about, you've got to you know, probably take income. I mean, you're 60, you're young 60, uh, but you will start taking income pretty soon. So you want to do both. You want to sit down, uh, again, talk about your investments, and then also to sit down with a financial planner to talk about you know, putting together a plan of what you want and what can, how you can accomplish that. And I will tell you too, Lewis, the, the, the great thing is you talked about being an independent contractor. You're actually in the best situation mm-hmm. there is because we talk about employers having to get a 401k plan for their employees or employees hoping their employer has a 401k plan. As an independent contractor, you can actually just open up what's known as a solo 401k. You don't have to worry about anybody else telling you what to do, how to do it, and you get these great tax benefits for it. Uh, so I, you, you're you kind of in the driver's seat there, and those are great, great plans for, for people that are self-employed. So as I said, that, that's a great opportunity. And I, I kind of echo what Brent said. I, I think the financial planning and, and w- would be a great opportunity for you there. And uh, Lewis, if you wow. want, I, I can give you the uh, phone number of the office and give us a call. You got a pen and paper there? Yes. I, I already memorized it. Well, okay. I memorized it. But I hear your show, and it took me a lot of courage to call you guys after about six months. So I finally called, and I'm thinking, I'm doing something wrong here. <laughs> well, so, you did the right thing by calling, so that's a good thing. <laughs> and again, you are very young at 60. 60 is now the new 50. <laughs> I, I have one more question out sure. of ignorance, okay? Sure. So who who tells you where to invest in these companies, okay? Do, um, does somebody there that tells you, put your money here, put your money there? Because I ignore completely um, where to invest. 
That, that's a great question. No one tells us where to invest. We actually do our own research and so forth. And by the way, your money is invested the same way as our money. So we're doing all the research. Before we invest in anything, it's 10, 15, 20 hours of research. I mean, you know, what we share on the radio here is uh, what we actually do in the office. I mean, that's how I've done it for 40 years is really looking at the fundamentals and understanding how to invest. And uh, so no one tells us, oh, uh, and, and I know what you mean. Sometimes your bigger brokerage firms, oh, you gotta, gotta buy this company or sell this company. With us, it's like, it's all based on our research. Uh, we look at many, many different companies throughout the year, uh, but no one tells us what to do. We actually find good companies and we share, like we put them in our portfolio and then everybody else's portfolio that we can. And the other thing too, Lewis, I, I took your question a little bit differently is oh. you don't ever have to like, know where we're investing, or you know right. where we're investing, but we don't ever call and say, hey, Lewis, we yeah. really think XYZ is a great company. I think you should buy it. We just manage the portfolio for you. So you can always see your portfolio, see what you own, but you never have to kind of do the action. We just actually do the management for you. And, and then you're kind of kept in the loop as to what you do hold. Yeah. All right, Lewis. It's easier than I thought. Okay, guys, thank you. And uh, yes, I probably will be seeing you in your office all right. Well, thank, thanks for calling. We appreciate the call. Have a good one. Thank you. You too, sir. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, let's head down to, or out, as I guess, a down and out to Hamul and speak with Sherry. Sherry, you're on the Smart Vegetable Brunt Chase. How can we help you out? Good morning, guys. Good morning. Good to talk to you this morning. Well, good to have you be there. Um, yeah. I'd like to talk about Matson, the shipping line. Okay. Um, I bought it about 10 years ago. I was in the Navy in, in Hawaii, in and out of Hawaii, and I would sit at and have dinner um, overlooking that Honolulu Harbor area and see those ships coming in and out. And I thought, you know what, um, there's some steady steady company there, um, steady need. So I bought some, and it's up about five five times since I bought it. Oh, wow. Congratulations so, on that one. Yeah, I wish I'd bought more. I mean, but it, it was basically just a little souvenir from Hawaii, literally, <laughs> rather, than buying, rather than buying a trinket or a junky ukulele or something um, out of the gift shop. I bought, um, you know, put some, a little bit of money in, in Matson. All right. Well, let's say it's a company called Matson, symbol M-A-T-X, uh, P-E ratio, not bad, but not good compared to the industry. It's 6.2, which is a pretty good P-E ratio, but the industry is at 4.9. Price of sales looks good at 1.1 versus 1.2. Price of tangible book value, not too good here. It's a 4.4 well above the industry at 0.5. So you would want that lower, not higher. And the same thing with price of cash flow, 5.1 versus 3.5. Now, a very strange number in the peg ratio, you want this number lower, and it is for uh, Matson. it's 0.3 versus 85 for the industry. So that is a positive. Looking at their earnings per share growth uh, over the last year, up 218.7%. I put that in there because the industry grew at 218 0.6%, so about the same as the industry. Sales looking good, 40.9%. That is better than the industry at 25.6. Five-year estimated growth by the analyst, uh, that's 15% versus 1.6, so I like seeing that. They do pay a dividend of 1.4%, but only use 7% of their earnings to pay that out. Looking at the balance sheet, current ratio 0.9 versus 1.6, I'm okay with that. Debt to equity 70% versus 80%, that is okay. We do see that they have a net profit margin of 18.4%, not quite as good 
as the industry at 25.1. And then return equity checks in at 46%, very good, but the industry's at 41.8, so it's kind of like a, a high return equity industry, it appears. Even return on capital is good at 28.5 versus 25.7. Uh, Chase, what do you have going forward? Yeah, so current price here for Matson was $87.09, 52-week high, $94.54. And the 52-week low of $58.49. Now, if I go out to December 2022, I see estimated earnings per share of $10.45 would give us a fantastic target sell price share of $173.47. But a couple of concerns here. Number one, it is just two analysts that are following oh. this company. And also, two, 2021, the company is estimated to make, I know they've already done three quarters, part right. of the reporting here for the fourth quarter here soon, but $17.56. So you're talking about a decline of about 40% on those earnings for 2022. And I see here in 2021, earnings were up about 295%. So they had a huge boom. And I'm guessing something had to do with those uh, carriers sitting off the shore in LA and, and yeah. Long Beach. Because I did see one of their, their services is well, it's ocean transportation logistics. And one of their destinations is China to Long Beach. So it looks like they do go into Long Beach port. But uh, I, I'm just guessing that there was some backlog that has driven up the revenue this year. And it's kind of starting to um, reduce from here, which is a concern for me. I mean, the valuations are great on it. But what is the, the potential long-term growth here is, is my big question for Matson. Yeah, and my concern too is I don't like seeing just two analysts because they could be kind of pumping it and trying to do great things for it and so forth. I, I, I like to have at least five or six analysts. Um, also too, as Chase said, I am kind of concerned that will this excitement on the shipping be over uh, come summertime? Uh, that's my feeling. We'll have that that corrected and maybe this the stock could languish back. I think you said you had a 400% profit on it, I believe you said or something. Um, it was up by like times five, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, so a big profit there. Um, is it in an IRA or a regular account? It's in a Roth. And what okay. was interesting is I bought it um, one day, and the very next day I appeared in Hawaii, and the the newspaper had that its stock split with its Alexander Baldwin. So hmm. I ended up with Matson stock and Alexander Baldwin stock, which is a, um, a Hawaii-based um, real estate company. So I kind of got a double deal there. So it's been kind of interesting to watch watch it evolve. And, and Sherry, here's a hard part. I mean, this company's done very well for you. The valuations don't look too bad on it. Um, it it's hard to say, you know, sell this company. But I think I'm starting to see maybe cracks and what could happen be a difficult time for this company. And again, the big decline in earnings uh, year over year, I don't like seeing that either. Uh, it, it's a tough one. I mean, I, it's, it's hard to say sell. And the other thing too, you want to think about, you sell this, you, you could buy something else maybe better. Yeah, and I, I will point out too, as I said, they are uh, reporting earnings here soon for 2021. That means we'll shift out to 2023. Yeah. Generally, that's a positive. But for this company, unfortunately, as I said, 2022 is estimated $10.45. The 2023 estimate, still two analysts, $6.71. Oh. So it, it's a very, very sharp decline from the 2021 numbers are expected to see. And one thing that's been very strong for me throughout my years of investing is that I always want to have those earnings growing, uh, not going down. As Chase said, I mean, they could change, but still 17 to 10 to what do you say, six. six. Yeah, that's just not what you want to see in a business. You want those earnings to grow, not go down. So uh, think about it. And uh, I think there's no tax consequences. So. Yeah, yeah. Alrighty. Right. 
except that it's my it's a, it's my souvenir. So this is where the buy and hold girl in me gets me. <laughs> hey, well, we we have told people we don't make any emotional decisions at our firm, but my recommendation would be if you feel that emotion like I don't want to get rid of it, well, maybe keep a couple shares. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. I don't know the size of it in your portfolio, but I would consider at least taking some profits here. Yes. Already? All right. Thank you so much. Okay, Sherry. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. All right. Well, that pretty much wraps it up. So I'm, I'm sorry, Phil, we did not get to you on the raw stores. Uh, we just don't have time to do that. I just hate going too quickly with people and not give you a good analysis for that. So, uh, Phil, please call back next week. We'll, we'll be here and take that for you. Do you want to talk about the workshop coming up on uh, Thursday, January 27th at 6 o'clock in Scripps Ranch? Uh, again, this is January. You've got the entire year to look forward to, maybe be concerned about that's why we're doing the workshop. Uh, we're gonna talk about why the index may not perform as you expect in 2022, how to take the emotions out of investing and avoid the roller coaster ride of investing. And very important, we talk about how to build a portfolio, what we've done, what I've done for 40 years on how I've, I've come up with this system to actually weather the storms and how to build a strong portfolio. Uh, that's what we talk about, we show you everything we do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're really looking forward to the workshop and uh, first one in a while. So really looking forward to it. Yeah, and we probably won't do uh, another one. I, I think we're going to, we used to try to do them like on a monthly basis. Uh, we, we're just very busy. We have a lot of things going on. We love doing the workshops, but we probably won't do another one until I'm going to say probably March or probably April is probably the next workshop we'll probably do. Yeah. Yeah. So, so go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. You can sign up there. It's right on the website. When, when you go there right on the front page, just click on the, the workshop tab, or you can call the office at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Uh, talk to Priscilla. She'll get you signed up. And I do want to kind of go back as well. I know we got a little bit of time here, but uh, talk about the 401k side again. And, yeah. you know, we talk mainly about companies that have five to 50 employees. Well, if you're a business owner with more than 50 employees, we still do 401ks. Or mm-hmm. if you have a current 401k as well, you know, you can compare our, our plan to, to what you currently have. I, I, I do think our management is quite unique of that 401k. And by the way, we kind of utilize record keepers and our partnerships with a third party administrator. We, we are quite cost competitive, I would say. So, you know, uh, you got to get a 401k or at least some type of retirement plan here by June 30th. It doesn't hurt to give us a contact at the office. Uh, Again, you just go to smartinvesting2000.com and kind of see some more information. Because the big thing that I'll point out is we're what's known as a 338 advisor. We actually alleviate that investment liability that you have as the trustee of that 401k plan, where a lot of advisors, they just share that liability with you. So be very cautious to who you work with on the 401k. You might be putting yourself at more risk than you realize. And a lot of people don't realize that uh, about the liability. Uh, You know, again, you don't understand it contact us. Um, also too, it is not just up to 50 employees because the requirement, I think it was before, was it uh, above 50? They had to do the Cal Savers. Oh yeah, if you have more than five employees, now you have to do one. Well, but I mean, that's through June, but I mean, prior to that, above- It's, it's been, it was above 100 first, and then above 50 to 100, and now it's five to 50. Right, right, so you may have already be in that plan and not even realize it because of the fact that you already got forced into it. And I'm not sure if you say you had like 75 employees and you've done nothing yet. I'm not sure. I believe there's penalties. Penalties. There we go. All righty. There's a closing bell. Thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs or have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858- 
858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And for more daily educational information on investment tips, go to our Facebook page, Smart Investing with Brent and Chase Wilsey. Have a great day. We'll talk more next week right here on the Smart Investing Show. So amusing to think that I did all that. And may I say, 